This is Infants on Thrones. Listener Action. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is our November 2018 Listener Essay Contest, where you, the listeners, get to say what you want to say, how you want to say it, where you want to say it, and it is more than a privilege that that where gets to be here, that we get to host these on Infants on Thrones, where so many of us are all infants sitting on different kinds of thrones, right? Today's essay comes from Jim and is titled... A fly on the wall. And after you listen, please go to our website and vote for it and provide the author some personal feedback. Winners will be announced in early December. First place gets $200, second place $100, and third place $50. All right, ready, set. All right, go ahead. Hi, infants. I'm Jim. You may remember me from such listener essays as Is It I? and Priesthood Power. After listening to The Smackdown of a Manual for Creating Atheists by Peter Bogosian, was without a doubt the worst audiobook ever. I was inspired to enter my own sort of street epistemology episode. The following is my first actual substantive conversation about why I left with a believing Mormon. I mean, remember the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I live in a one-party consent state and recorded the interaction. I have edited out names and applied a level of voice disguise using my rudimentary editing skills to protect identities. The person I'm speaking with is my Elder's Quorum president. He's a genuinely nice guy, although we don't see eye to eye on much. The fact that he was willing to engage with me on this topic is testament to his character in my opinion. Contrary to Bogosian's aim, my purpose in this conversation was not really to change the beliefs of my EQP. I was mainly just seeking to understand and to be understood. The conversation is a long one, but I hope you enjoy it. So let me uh, tell you what prompted me to reach out. Yeah. I can't get out of my brain. Yeah. For coming up on like six months, dude. (laughs) And I finally like, I'm feeling like I was getting like chastised by the Lord, like, knock it off, like, reach out. Because this is my style. Like, Friday night, I typically do home, hang out, whatever, doing nothing. Um, but it was like, yeah, you got to buy contact Jim. Um, like, frills. I wake up and you're in my brain, I take a shower with you. Jeez. <laughs> and go there, like, forget to go really good. <laughs> so, I just wanted to come in, the last time you and I spoke church stuff, like, how you feel, like, with church stuff, it was a good two-ish, three-ish years ago in a stewardship interview. Yeah. Um, and I've heard from other people in the last handful of months kind of your thoughts and whatnot, but I, I don't know, I mean, what, what gets lost in translation or get messed up. I wanted to hear it from you. Yeah. Um, talk to you about how you're, um, uh, your, your feelings towards the church, your, your thoughts towards the church, your, your, your relationship with the church, um, how that plays out with your family dynamic here and your family dynamic extended. Uh-huh. Um, just kind of want to check sure. in and see what you stand. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, no one's really even asked me. So really? I have no problems talking about it. I'll, I'm going to be straightforward and transparent. Like I have no problem with that. Okay. Um, sure. So I don't believe the church is true uh, at all. Um, and 
that's been something that I've struggled with for a long, long time. It's not something new. Uh, In a long, long time, like, like you, when you, if you and I spoke three years ago, was it shortly was, before that or longer before, before that? Before that. Um, I would say probably 2013 is when I really started to have serious doubts um, and really uh, questioned um, the church, questioned God, questioned all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even before that, you know, everyone always, people always have some level of sure. questions or doubts, and I did too. Me too. Um, yeah. But I was you know, fully committed to the church. Like I was, I was true blue of Mormon, even though you're not supposed to say that word. Right <laughs> uh, as you can get, right? Like I was, I was very committed to the church. But um, you know, I, I think that uh, what fundamentally um, changed for me is one main thing and then there's dozens of of other things but the main thing I would say is I don't think that the epistemology of reliance on feelings from the spirit is a good way to know truth and the reason I don't think that is from my own personal experience with the Spirit. Sometimes it has worked in my life and sometimes it has not. Uh, And I'm not comfortable uh, saying that I trust the feelings of the Spirit when I can't verify that it works. Uh, But for a long time, you know, I would say, well, maybe this thing didn't work out because it wasn't the spirit and I misunderstood. You know, like I'm not good in, I'm not good at recognizing the spirit. Or maybe this thing didn't work out because I needed to learn some type of lesson from this. And my limited human understanding is not God's understanding. Like his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Or uh, this thing, I guess it was either, you know, it could either be a, like, I don't recognize the spirit well, or B, like, I, uh, there's something that I don't understand that God, like, wanted to teach me some lesson. Right, right. Um, and I, I worked in that framework for a long time. Uh, and I, I trusted the spirit, and I made a lot of decisions relying on the spirit, um, what I thought was the spirit. Um, but over time, like, Sometimes I would feel the spirit, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I would get direction and sometimes I wouldn't. Um, And like, here's like a really clear example of something where it was just like, how could this possibly um, be the spirit or how could, how can I rely on this? Like, as a missionary, once in a while, I would feel like I got to knock on that door. And I'd go knock on the door. And nobody would be home. <laughs> it's like, okay, I maybe misunderstood the spirit, or maybe they were home and they like saw me, and like the, them seeing me was the thing that they needed. Or but like, I just those are far fetched. Right? Like kind of, they just weren't home, and like so either I'm wrong or the spirit's wrong, right? Like it's one of the two. So I, I always 
even though I really tried to rely on the spirit in my life, I always had like such, I made it like a mission to like be able to distinguish the spirit from my own thoughts. And like, how do I, how do I understand what the spirit is saying? And how do I understand what it's from me, you know? And so I, I really tried to work at that for a long time. But um, the more experience I had, the less confident I became with the feelings of the spirit. And additionally, uh, I also saw that it didn't work institutionally for the church either. So historical things like um, race and the priesthood, for instance. Uh, 2013 was when they published the essay on race and the priesthood um, at the S.O.R.G. And essentially, they said, we were wrong. Yeah. And it's like, so the spirit didn't work for you either for 150 years? So either, like, God doesn't care enough, or there is no God, or you're not, like, a representative of him. Like, those are the choices in my mind. Like, you can't have... You can't have it another way unless God just doesn't care for 150 years. And I, I just am unwilling to accept that. And so I had a hard time with that. Um, and, and that's not the only thing. Like, that's just an example. I mean, there's like, you list off a hundred different things where the church did one thing and then did the opposite, or the doctrine was one way and now it's something totally different. Um, and so, uh, it's a combination of my personal experience, seeing it also fail with the church institutionally, and then a third parameter that fed into my uh, distrust of feelings for verifying truth was um, my education. So I was a neuroscience undergrad, and in uh, in graduate school, I took some psychology type courses, management type psychology courses, where we learned a lot about different um, biases that we can have, where, you know, confirmation bias, where we only look for evidence to support our position and we don't look, we don't seek out evidence against our position. Um, if you really want something to be true, you're going to make it true for yourself. There's all sorts of techniques that are repeatable in the lab to, to get people to make these mistakes. Teamwork feelings yeah, that you can reproduce with music and tone. Yeah, and, and then there's the, that's an additional thing, which is the study on elevate, the studies on elevation emotion, where the feelings of the spirit are completely repeatable in laboratory settings, and they have nothing to do with verifying truth or error. Um, and additionally, every religion has people who feel strongly about their particular religion. Right. And so, the fundamental truth claims of Mormonism come down to Moroni 10 5, ask God, he'll reveal it to you by the Holy Spirit, right? And I just don't think that's a good way to know if something is true or not. Uh, because of the evidence in my own life, evidence that I see in the history of the church itself, and from the evidence from scholarship. So I don't 
I don't believe the church is true for those reasons, you know. And then when you take that out of the equation, like the church falls apart, there's no the historical issues, which I'm sure you probably know some of them, if not. Oh. I don't know what your level of uh, study is on that, but greater than average. Yeah, like there's just no way, um, in my opinion. I think it's an untenable position to argue for the truth claims of the church. And so that's we that's part of that, the, the, the historic the historical part. It's untenable. Which part? Yeah. I mean what, what um I mean aspect or... there's dozens of things like for instance, if you want to take the, the keystone of our religion, the Book of Mormon, um, it's it's a nineteenth century production. There's it's not literally true. Um, and scholarship outside of the LDS community certainly says that. But in addition, scholarship in the LDS community is now saying that as well. Um, as more and more evidence comes in that there are no Lamanites. That's just an untenable... You can't argue for that. There's no there's no possible evidence for that. So the, the book so you, just isn't literal or true. That was, but my question to you is, it would be like, explain the book, you know, like you say, explain the Book of Mormon. How can you explain that if it wasn't, you know, if, if Joseph Smith wasn't being telling the truth, you know, they just taken it from plates, mm-hmm. um, ancient plates. How what is it? How was it generated? I mean, there's always all these stories that Sidney Rigdon wrote it or somebody else wrote it and they took it right. and tweaked it. There's, there's a whole bunch of different theories out there. I tend to think that Joseph was pretty brilliant and made it up. I think he wrote it. But he didn't do it in isolation. I mean, almost a quarter of the Book of Mormon is straight out of the King James Version of the Bible. So there's an influence right there. There's a few other contemporary sources that are themes extremely similar to the Book of Mormon that Joseph would have had access to, so he could have used those. Additionally, you know, we have records from his mother talking about how Joseph was telling stories about the American Indians from the time when he was 10. Like, he had time to, like, build this story (laughs) up. So, I don't... I do think Joseph was sort of a religious genius. Um, I think he... I think he created it. I think it's a story that he created himself, in my opinion. But I don't know that for sure. Who knows how the whole thing came about. I've heard the other theories like there's some conspiracy between Sidney Rigdon and Oliver Cowdery and Joseph and they wrote it together. There's the the Spalding manuscript story with the uh, the manuscript found which doesn't actually look like the Book of Mormon all that much. There's a few different there's a few little similarities, but it's not that similar. But then there's the story about, oh, actually there's a second manuscript that Solomon Spalding wrote that a bunch of people in this one city testified that it's exactly like Book Mormon, but we've never found that one, so that's unverifiable. Um, there's a whole bunch of theories out there. There's the late war, there's the view of the Hebrews, there's multiple attempts to explain where the Book of Mormon came from. I, I tend to lean towards Joseph Mason. Single source. Uh, yeah. I have a hard time believing in conspiracy theories, personally. Um, 
So once you were, um, I mean, I see a church. Jim's wife. Still serving in, in the primary. Where are you going? What's, what's your, what's the... Oh, I don't intend to uh, be an active participant in church. I'll come sometimes. Be an active or inactive? Be an active participant. <laughs> All right, that's sure. I just, I can't pretend that... I can't pretend that I believe that the church is true. And, you know, oftentimes... Um, I hear the argument, well, the church is, the church may not be true, but it's really good. Um, it's good for you, and it's good for, like, morality, and it's a good place to raise a family. Uh, I could, as far as I'll, the farthest I'll go is I'll say that the church is good for some people at some points in their lives. I think that's probably true. Like, I think as, for me as a teenager, it was probably a net positive influence on me. Um, but I certainly don't think it's good for everyone at all times. And I, I, I can't like go and, and participate and not be believing. Like it's just not me. I can't, yeah. I can't do that. So. Uh, that makes sense. I think I, I don't think I'd be the same way. Um, where, where are you at as far as like religion in general, existence of God? Is it deeper than Mormonism? Is it God yeah. in general? Yeah, I don't. I don't see much evidence for. I don't see much reason for a belief in God. I could be. I'm open to the existence of God. I kind of wish there. I kind of wish that there was a God. Um, I personally don't really see much evidence for it, and so I don't. I don't really believe in God. But like I said, I, I leave open the possibility uh, if if, uh, if I came to some other conclusion, I would change my mind. I, I could have my mind changed on that. Um, I think religion is mostly man-made. Oh, I think it's all man-made. <laughs> like yes, no, no, no. I think religion is man-made. I think we created ourselves to try to explain things and give ourselves comfort. Um, you know, there's religion has evolved over time, and uh, it's clear to see that sort of evolution. Um, I don't, I don't believe that there's much divine about it, but I do think that it's very powerful, and that it, uh, the community aspects of it are really important. Um, I sort of the thing that I miss that I will miss the most about Mormonism is the community itself uh, because it's such a strong culture strong community right. and it's still my culture like it's all I know um, it's what I grew up in it's, I spent years of my life uh, spent two years on a mission I spent years in BYU like it's my culture but I can't, I can't pretend like I uh, support or believe some of the stuff that's said over the pulpit. I just don't. Um, not enough to, to, to speak for it, I'm not, not saying that, but where's Jim's wife in regards to the church and, and mostly like, how's that affecting your relationship? Are you guys on the same page? Are you guys? Yeah, I won't speak for her beliefs, uh, but I'll. But I, I will 
will say that she's been very supportive of me. It's not a source of tension for us. It's actually been, I've been really lucky. Because yeah. I know I have friends who haven't been as lucky in terms of going through a faith crisis or um, losing their, their belief in God. And it has not gone well for some of them uh, in terms of their relationship with their spouse. But I've, I've been very lucky. Jim's wife, very supportive. And, um, and uh, our relationship is more than just Mormonism, so I think we're doing fine. I think I shared with you before on that. I spent my time away from the church. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate as well. She was patient. <laughs> um, and this was prior to, to the last time you and I had a conversation about this on this topic. Help me do my thing. I, I needed it. You know, I needed, I needed to figure out what I needed to figure out and question what I needed to question. So I, I certainly appreciate I, I appreciate uh, the role of a strong, supportive spouse in those, yeah. in those scenarios. Yeah, she's been really good. So, no complaints. What about thoughts on, and that's as far as timing, I don't know if your timing, but intentions is raising children. Uh, but, uh, we're going to cross that bridge when we get there. Okay. I don't know. Figure it out when we need to figure it out. Yeah. No source, no reason in stressing out about it. <laughs> Fair opinion. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. What about you? What do you? What do you believe? Do you believe? I do. Yeah. I really do. And I, I'm one of those guys. I, th- I shared a similar sentiment to you before. I remember. This, I remember our conversation really clearly. It was powerful then. Um, it's. I know. My experience with the spirit has been similar but different. Same struggles. Was, was that mine? Was that the spirit? Was that where did that come from? Well, I had a felt like a solid direction to do this, and then nothing. Like, what was the point of that? Um, I've reached different outcomes. Far, I'm still at a point where I'm willing to say, "There's just stuff I don't understand yet." That I'm, I'm willing to go with. God knows stuff that I don't know yet, and I'm okay with that. Um, but when I participate, when I when I commit to participating. Not just in the church, but in the gospel. I'm happier. I'm a better person for it. Um, I'm a better husband for it. I'm a better father for it. I see evidence. I mean, I just. Um, and is and for you is that um, that's evidence of the truth claims? Yeah, it, it, it is. When when I look at the quorum that I'm surrounded with here in this ward. When I look at the state brethren they get to mingle with, and I watch those men on TV, men and women, men and women on TV, who are incredible individuals, that I see as solid examples of what I want to be like, and also, I think, I think you use the term, kind of just punching above their weight, just individuals um, who excel on all fronts, professionally, academically, family-wise, church-wise. I, I see those results being a function of there's truth behind it that it drives these men and women to be different than they would be otherwise if the spirit wasn't actually acting in their lives if the if the if they were just going off of a personal conviction that wasn't really true I know convictions personal individuals personal convictions can have a lot of power mm-hmm. um, but I see there's more than that but there's actually a spirit functioning in those individual lives um, I, uh, I don't need to like Press you on Feel free. Feel free. How do you reconcile that 
with the facts that, or maybe you don't think it's a fact, but the fact, in my opinion, that other people in other religions are comparably just as um, compassionate, kind, Christ-like, successful, uh, like, does that give credence to their claims? Like, why is it different for Mormonism? The, the, this, this, so, knowing that this sounds conceited, but answer your, your, um, your question the way I see it, is they're not. Okay. <laughs> that sounds super conceited. Um, you look at the, the Senate Judiciary Panel that was listening to, to, to the Kavanaugh testimonies, eight, whatever it was, eight individuals, making the determination whether to pass this Supreme Court nominee on to the full body Senate. Four of them are Mormon. So, so four solid active Mormons. In a, pop, where, in a country where we represent, what, 1% of the population, you just see Mormons at the past center of powerful scenarios all over the place, from Congress, from, from, from government to private industry. Clearly, we're not the only ones successful, because there's a whole lot more people in Senate that are not Mormons. But the, this, the concentration of success that is generated within the church is way above our 1%, where you see the CEOs and the founders and entrepreneurs just doing well. I, I see that, and then as far as the other church church's leadership goes, obviously they have good intention. I, I don't think any, anyone, nobody, I would say probably even including the Pope, is out there setting out to trick anybody. I don't see anybody out there really trying to trick people uh, from the major religions. Um, I see sincerity, but I don't see that same level of, I, I, I would be like another Bernard, another Holland. More than I want to be like the Cardinals. <laughs> you so, know what I'm saying? So for you, uh, like, blessings equal uh, God's favor. Like, God favors Mormons, therefore it's true, and that's why they're more successful than others in terms of the uh, their influence and abilities and business and politics. Like, I... I, I don't. I don't think it's God going, "Hey, I like you better," but I. But I see that is when you, when you you're making decisions for your life and for your family, for your business, for your for your world, for your career path, based on decisions that you're making under the influence of the Holy Ghost, which, as members of the LDS Church, we claim to have constant companionship with the Holy Ghost. That can lead to different outcomes than individuals who have just moments with the Holy Ghost. Okay. The the, the, the spirit driven results, not favors, not. Preferential, but just living life under the direct influence of the Holy Ghost constantly, I think it's the different outcomes. Yeah. I, it sounds like, and I, again, I'm not trying to like poke, but I'm going, to, I'm going to poke. Go on, dude. Let's just be friends here. Let's be friends. It's like in a friendly, a friendly way. Like it's, that sounds like the prosperity gospel to me. What do you mean? Like, if you're good, you'll get blessings. If you're bad, you won't. And, uh, you know, I think Mormonism preaches that, frankly, in DNC 8210. I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, when you do not what I say, you have no promise. This land is consecrated for those who uh, worship the Almighty God. Uh, if you keep my commands, you'll prosper in the land. Right? Like that's in, throughout the Book of Mormon. Right. It's in the DNC. Really um, and that's commonly referred to as the prosperity gospel. Uh, the, another, another book that was influential for me um, on my mission was drawing all the powers of heaven. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah. What's that? Yeah, 
I think it was like his name. I remember, yeah, I remember that one. I forget the him, Henry, the author. Henry. Yeah. Um, what is the author's name? I don't. I don't remember. But it's you know it's uh, have a goal in mind. Pray about that goal constantly. Fast in your prayers, covenant with God. God uh, about your righteous desire that you'll do such such step in order to achieve it. And if you follow these steps, like. God will be bound to bless you if you if you do it and if you fulfill your side of the bargain. Um, and I personally, I fully reject that. I don't think that's true at all. In fact, my favorite scripture, uh, even as a Mormon, as a as a believing Mormon, I guess I still consider myself Mormon, is something that says the exact opposite, and it's. In the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, chapter 9, here it is, 9-11, says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. <laughs> That's my view. I don't think that there's... Even, my, my opinion is, even if there were a God, um, even if I believed Mormonism was true, I don't think, like, being righteous or obeying the influence of the Holy Ghost leads to better outcomes. Um, uh, so anyways, that's, that's my position. But but, but, but I, I don't want it to sound like I think that if, if you if you you, you believe you believe, believe this way then you get nothing but good. Right? Not that simple. I don't think you believe that. And clearly there are a lot of fantastic members of the church who don't strike oil. Right. Plenty of them. I'm, I'm one of them. Right, I feel like I'm all right. Things are good. I can I can feed my family, but I'm, I, I'm I was destitute. I knew it at 18 years old. No, 16 years old. I knew I'd be a millionaire at 30. Knew it. Yeah, I knew it on 40. It may happen. <laughs> It'll happen. But but uh, who knows? May not. Um. And and I spent I spent last week honestly kind of in a little bit of self pity mode for a few days. Um. Feeling a feeling of. Dang, life sucks. Life is hard. Life is hard. Yeah. Um, you know, both I grew up in really crappy families. Her family, I thought I had a really crappy family, but then I met her. Like, oh, my family's kind of good. Um, uh, you know, I, I lost my first wife to, to cancer. She lost her first husband to, to drug addiction. Um, we, we get married, and we find out that marriage round two was a Took a little, was different than marriage round one for both of us. Yeah, took a lot of work, a lot, a lot of heart, and that's where I started kind of, kind of questioning the gospel because so um, man, a lot of just hurt. Um, and anyway, we worked through all that, and then um, we find out when we start wanting to have kids, we find out it's not going to happen. You know, we had to go through that idea for a after some heartache, we're ready to get Maxwell, and we've been trying to get number two here for a while. And last week we got bad news there, and it's just and I got to the point of where's my break. You know, and then the financial outcomes have been 
you know, I, I took this really a couple things that didn't pan. Um, so we, we, you know, Kelly and I spent most of our of our ten years of marriage. The first two were feeling like we were pretty prosperous. The last seven have been catching up, <laughs> just paying stuff off uh, from those swings. Um, and, and so, honestly, for a couple of days last week, I was like, gosh dang, where's my break? Like, why does it have to be this day hard? And I'm, I'm generally not used to that, right? I don't, I don't wallow a lot in self-pity or yeah. pessimism. Um, and, and then I saw on, in general conference, these men who, and women, who are dealing with hard things in their lives. President Nelson, you know, losing his wife. President Irene right now is taking care of his wife who can't speak anymore. Some kind of some, some dementia is setting in. So he's full-time in the church and he's gonna work himself to the death on church duties while taking care of, until the end of her life, taking care of his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Oaks lost his wife. There's, there's um, President Nelson's lost a, a daughter to cancer handful of years ago. Like nobody gets out of it without some bruises, some serious freaking bruises. And so I don't want you to think the uh, you know, the prosperity gospel to me that sounds a little too simplified for how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair. It's not do good get a meter awards. That clearly doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I just see as a people, including the brethren in our work, um, Bishop never struck well financially. But he's just a good freaking dude. And, I don't, and I'm not saying that there's just not good dudes, that this is no place to find good dudes. I just find them to be more in abundance, different perspectives, different tolerance levels of, 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 of the crap that happens just because we're in a fallen world. Um, and I see brethren who are able to overcome more easily those challenges because of the, the Spirit in their lives. What I see is evidence of the of the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. Um, yeah. Not simplified. Do good. Good things happen. Overall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm just poking because, like, I, I personally, I don't know if I, do, I do think that the church punches above its weight in terms of its political power and business success among its... The, the individuals of the church or the yeah, church? of the, the individuals of the church. Um, and I generally think LDS people are good salt-of-the-earth people, too. Yeah, certainly. Clearly, we're not playing weirdos so much. We, we both know that. Oh, yeah. There's no <laughs> shortage of weirdos. Yeah. Uh, no denying it. Yeah. But I just don't consider that evidence for the truth claims personally. But I don't know what to tie it to. If you do, like that's 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 fine. I just I, I'm I'm slightly skeptical of uh, a claim that there are more good people in the church. Like in terms of the level of concentration, I, I think that you find. I'm not, I'm not good with words, dude. I'm not good with words in anything, but I, I, I don't mean good people like... Like morally upstanding, kind, clearly generous... Clearly, there are plenty of good moral people, people. all over the place. Yeah. Uh, without, with religion and without religion. Yeah. Um, I, I just... Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I don't, I don't know how to evaluate that. Uh, my anecdotal evidence 
or my anecdotal, it's not evidence, my anecdotal experiences says that there's really good, really solid, wonderful people in the church. And there are some not so wonderful people in the church too. And there's some really good, really solid, wonderful people out of the church. And some not so as well. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't know if it's, Anyways, I I think I've, we're, I I think I get where you're coming from. I think you get my skepticism. Sure, I, 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 I think we're on the same page there. I completely understand the skepticism, and I and I know also if you prove to me that the modern church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, <laughs> isn't true, I'm done with Christianity. Like, where do I go? Yeah, I thought right. that for a long time. Actually, I was terrified to lose my faith in the church. Because I had I had already been taught to deconstruct every other religion. Right. Like, right. Mormonism does a good job of that. So uh, from like so like and so, really thought it's like well I'll have to study on Buddhism on Hinduism maybe maybe one of those has worked for me I don't know because like, the other the other Christianities versions of Christianity are just yeah. there's no meat they're not just like I agree I'll, although so I'll give you here's my view like okay here's my experience at least. I felt very similar. Like, I was like, uh, if I ever left the church, I would not be religious at all. And that's actually the truth. Like, I'm not. <laughs> um, but I was, I was scared of that, A. Uh, and then I, I also um, thought, like, oh, where am I going with this? So I, I was scared of losing religion in general and losing that sort of comfort. And it wasn't easy to lose. Like, a faith crisis is not fun. Like, you you mentioned that you spent some time doubting. Like, it's an existential, there's some a lot of existential dread that comes along with right. losing your faith. It's not fun. Like, I didn't want to not believe in Mormonism. Like, I wanted to believe. Um, I just couldn't like I, I can't like I don't I don't like the term choose to believe like I'm I, I don't choose to believe that that pillow over there is blue like it just is like I can't even if I wanted it to be red like yeah, I don't know it's blue like if, even if I said it was red like I don't know it's blue even if I like chose that it was red chose to believe tried to choose to believe it was red it's still a blue pillow. Like I still know that it's blue. Like I don't like that. Where did that leave? So clearly, so I don't think belief is a choice. Where did that leave room for faith? What do you mean by that? You want you want empirical evidence then? Well, I'm I'm happy to. Uh, I would be happy to say I don't know about something. And then uh, it could be either or, and I could say, "No, there's. I could choose this one or this one. I don't really know." Like, I'm happy to. I'm happy to make that distinction or make that choice. I think there is choice there when you don't know, uh, when there's not evidence on one side or the other. But there's a mountain of evidence against the truth claims of the church, and there's very, very little evidence for. And so I can't, 
choosing to believe when there is evidence against that belief. And I don't mean to turn this into a Bash's church like <laughs> on all these evidentiary points. Um, there's just there's a lot out there. Like you've, you you said you you know more than the average person. I assume that you've read the LDS.org essays on several of the issues, like multiple first vision accounts and polygamy and polyandry and uh, yeah. the Book of Mormon, um, DNA evidence, and Book of Abraham, which is the whole mother can worms. Um, but like in the face of all of those verifiable things that contradict the truth claims of the church, I can't choose. That's not a choice anymore. My opinion. So this feels like a um, a hinge point for you where this isn't an investigation anymore. This is like this is how you tend to, to yeah. I live going forward. I don't. I mean, <laughs> my view is that the, after spending years researching and studying and praying and fasting and really trying to make it work, um, there's very little that could convince me in the face of the evidence against the church. And its truth claims. I just I see very little possibility that it could be true. Um, so I, I doubt it. I mean, people are. I was talking with a friend who um, asked, you know, what would it take for me to like. Like what level of evidence mm-hmm. would be good evidence, in my opinion? Um, it would be a lot. Like I don't want to go through the thought experiment because it makes me seem like a jerk. But anyways, are you happy? Yeah, I mean, I'm happier than I was when I was uh, really struggling with reconciling these things. I was just under a heavy, heavy burden of cognitive dissonance for quite a few years where I could not reconcile these two competing things that I, both of them cannot be true um, uh, on several subjects. Um, and so, yeah, I'm happier. I'm, I think I'm happy in general. I've never been like a super jazzy, energetic, outgoing, kind of happy guy to begin with. So, I mean, what do you consider happy? <laughs> I don't know, like, I'm content. Like, I'm, I want to see you skipping the parking lot. I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with like the belief that this is the only life that I have and that um, And I'm at peace that uh, there is no afterlife, in my view. Uh, that was very scary for a long time for me. Um, but y- y- if you 
as I've sat with that thought and had that existential dread um, and learned to live for the now and tried to get more pleasure out of what's happening around me and be present. That sounds a little kooky and like uh, hippie-like, but no, I think that's mindfulness. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's really um, that's really helped me come to peace with that whole existential thing that I did have to deal with as I as my belief faded. Eighty years, that's your shot. Buy and sell some stocks, enjoy some family time, a little bit of fun and pleasure, and then do the about eighty years and yeah. Well, regardless if I'm right or not, like whatever you believe doesn't change what's actually going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if there is an afterlife, sweet. That'd be great. <laughs> I would love that. But I just don't think there is. So, we talked a little bit about why you believe. Um, are you, do you believe, like, in the traditional sort of Mormonism, like, the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, the, like, you believe, like, the priesthood was restored by Peter, James, and John placing their hands on Joseph Smith and all of the Cadre's heads? Or do you think it's like a good way to live? Like, what's your. Yeah. Um, clearly, I wasn't eyewitness to any of those events. Mm-hmm. But I don't shy away from saying I know it's true. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more liberal than some of the. Like, I don't, uh, like no one getting to every animal on the boat. Mm-hmm. I don't really need to believe that's true. Right? <laughs> I don't. I. I, I, I that doesn't seem very plausible, right? Yeah, I, know, I know some people are like even, stuck on that. Of course you did. Even when I was, uh-huh. a, even when I was a pretty orthodox Mormon, like I still didn't take many of the Old Testament stories. As right, like, Joe. Clearly, clearly, clear definitely an allegory. Some people don't know that. Of course, I have to like that. Yeah. Mm, I, I don't get stuck on those kinds of things. Um, Adam and Eve, four thousand, you know, six thousand years ago. Definitely not. You're right. Right. But, um, there's, clearly, there's. There were humanoids around for a lot longer than that. Um, how does fit into the plan of salvation and God's family? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but when it comes to the restoration of the gospel, that Joseph Smith was a flawed man, but a, a very important played a very important role in God's plan for His children. And the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, and the priesthood that gives us authority to act in His name was restored, as He told said it was restored. I believe those things. Yeah. And that's where I can say. Where I feel, I feel comfortable, I believe those to the point where I feel comfortable saying I know that they're true mm-hmm. because of my own prayers and my own feelings towards those things. Clearly, I couldn't give you a video recording. Right. Um, but I don't, I'm, I know it's kind of been in vogue for the last five, ten years, maybe more, that I was aware of, where people say, I don't I can't say I know, but I do believe it's true. Um, I spent some time there. I think maybe last time we talked, maybe that's more where I sat. I just see enough, I see it differently. That there's the pile of evidence of saying where it's not true is minimal compared to the pile of evidence that, it, that is true what I see there. Um, how do you 
I'm genuine. I'm genuinely curious about this. I'm not trying to like trap you or anything. I'm. I'm really curious. How do you reconcile some some of the contradictions uh, that exist? Um. I mean, I certainly. I guess it would depend on, the, on on which contradiction you're referring to, like. Like Abraham or the blacks in the priesthood, the world seems there's like, ouch, I can't, I can't explain that one. Yeah. Or Joseph Smith marrying 14 year old twins while you know, dad's away. Yeah, it's all the mission. Right, right. Okay, so the last one, Joseph Smith makes mistakes. <laughs> okay, so. Clearly, so so mistakes. Your view is like, that was wrong. Yeah. Some people think that the mother of Jesus. Mary was no older than 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. 14 or 15 or 16 might be likely. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So, to, 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 so then to, to the other examples of Blacks and Priesthood or the Book of Abraham, I'm okay saying I just don't know. I just don't know. So there's, there may have been mistakes. God's ways are higher than my thoughts. Are higher than my thoughts. I'm okay with, with those elements. I, and I know that for somebody looking to prove it by uh, scientific method, that doesn't work. Yeah. I understand that, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with those writing those kind of those ones off. To me, the, to me, those feel pretty minimal. Not to minimize even the book of Abraham. Like we know that the book of Abraham was not written by Abraham. Like that's. But I also see it verified. Correct. And Joseph Smith said it was. So either. Joseph Smith was lying or a fraud, or what? I don't. I don't know what the other option is. <clears throat> so we all grew up with that idea that Joseph Smith sat there with the with the plates and went through word for word. Okay, yeah. This is this and that. This is this and that. Right. We all know that's not true, right? Okay. Um, maybe it started that way, but then from there on, he was just looking at a couple stones, looking at the hat, whatever. And, and the like, plates were in the room. There we go. And how? Why would? God need to preserve the plates. If you could have done it that way. If you could have just said that, it makes no sense. There you go. Yeah. Um, at that point, uh, there's schooling there. I, I think there's schooling that happened. Yeah, there's the catalyst. The apologist explanation is, oh, he, after he became that skill attuned to right. the spirit, he didn't even need the plates anymore. But we had to give the plates to him to like teach Probably. him that. Like, okay. I've heard that explanation. Yeah. And so I see that being seen by papyrus. That. That's fine. I, I can see the papyrus playing a similar role. Joseph saying, and maybe to his the best of his even known, even his own understanding, yeah, those are, that was the scroll written by Abraham. I mean, he could have been looking at that saying. So that's the catalyst theory. To, yeah, to giving us what's written in it. And when I read the book of Abraham, dude, there's some solid freaking knowledge there. The, the, the creation, the, gen, the explanations of Genesis, and Enoch, and and who we are as children of God. That's good stuff in there. So, I wouldn't want to discount, I wouldn't want to like shunt, rip those pages out of my book, you know? Okay. There's good stuff there. How that came to be, I don't get it. I, and I don't, and I feel okay with not getting it. Um, I just, I just see that enough evidence in my life, in other lives, in the church as a whole, the brethren that, I, I, those aren't dumb guys. Those aren't yeah, dumb guys. They're incredibly right. smart. Why would they be willing, at six years old, to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to spend the next 30 or 40 years making 
I think the stipend right now is like 150 grand from the Philosophy of Boston. Yeah. I think they believe. Why wouldn't right. they if they believed? And they're not dumb dudes. And I'm okay saying, hey, those guys are even smarter than me. Those mortal men are smarter than me. I'm not going for blind faith. That's what I'm saying. But people smarter than me are sticking with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i going to poke again. Uh, but, like, people smarter than me and you also have left. Sure. So, like... But I don't see them going on and doing great things and being happy in their lives. I don't see that. I got plenty to do. How, how do you make that determination, though? Like, I don't know how you're measuring that and how you can make that blatant statement that people who leave aren't happy. That, that's too blatant. You're right. Um, I, I look at my siblings. You know, nine of us in my family, six of them have left. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a family that are eight, one's left. And she's probably the more, of all people I know, she's probably the more, has actually succeeded to leave the church alone and just be her own person. You know, she's not around. She's married somebody who had nothing to do with the church. She's got a kid, they joined another church, and she seems genuinely happy. Okay. Um, I've got some of my brothers that seem genuinely content. Uh-huh. Um, but they're all rough. You know, they're all drinkers and smokers and construction guys. And, so I don't know really what, uh, happy or just, is that the booze? I'm not sure. Um, so my, my experience is limited to, to those talk as far as people I know really well yeah. that, have, that have left. Um, like, for instance, um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, she's an ex-Mormon. Really? She left the church. She's doing pretty well. Like, husband, John Huntsman Jr., right? Yeah, yeah. so like, we're just, these are just anecdotes. I don't think you can make that statement in any kind of, I, I just, I don't see um, real evidence for uh, one one group being happier than the other group in terms of people who stay versus people who leave. That's, I just don't, I just don't think you can make that statement. Clearly, I don't know. No, you can pick. You can pick, you can pick anecdotes, and you can. This is where what I, I think confirmation bias comes in. Like, oh, this person left the church, and they're doing bad, and then you use that as evidence to confirm that people who leave the church are not happy. Like, and then you know, like the ones like Jacinda who become prime minister. Well, like, I mean, John Huntsman Jr., right? His dad is a general authority billionaire. He, he, uh, Jr. obviously did well. He left the church a long time ago. Right. He's now the ambassador to Russia. Right. His, his daughter, I just learned, I didn't realize who it was. His Patty daughter. Hudson. Who's on that show. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah. Um, but when I see John Huntsman on TV, I, I see deadness in, in his eyes. I don't see a, a guy who's full of light and joy. Okay. I, 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 and, and his daughter, beautiful woman, she seemed happy and bubbly on that. Um... I think there one part of the lesson I found out she was more happy to see her on the show. If you didn't know that he left the church, like, would you be able to recognize that? I, I didn't I, know for sure until, until like, recently. Uh, but I've always wondered, like, he doesn't... So, I'm not saying you can always tell, but but but, but I wondered about him before, because he seemed kind of... Statements I heard him to make when he was running for governor, mm-hmm. or whatever, I think it was governor. Maybe. He made a presidential run, didn't he? Same as... Romney in two thousand same as Romney in two thousand eight, I think he was high was in the ring. Okay. But then he didn't get the nomination. Yeah. yeah. 
I started wondering at that point, and it took me a year before I found out, like, yeah, you haven't had much of a trick for a long time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that times when you can tell. I, I see, I see the Romney boys. I, I'd rather, I don't know. Yeah, it's not anecdotes, but um, I'd rather, I'd rather raise a family like Romney's raised than like Trump's raised. <laughs> okay, so I think I've got some of your points. Like, and I'm gonna summarize, and it's probably reductive, so don't take offense to this. Yeah. But Book of Abraham catalyst theory—that's like a well-known apologist explanation doesn't match at all. Uh, Book of Mormon, same thing, Catalyst Theory, is why he didn't use the plates. Um, race and the priesthood, mistakes were made. We don't know why. Or God's ways are higher than our ways. Polygamy, polyamory, and marrying underage girls, maybe a mistake. And maybe we just don't freaking know. Maybe we don't know. Um, okay. I'm going to give you one other contradiction that I want to see how you reconcile. Okay. Just, I, I, I tell me. Clearly, we're not here like no. convinced one or another. No, 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 of course not. And I'm not, I'm appreciative that you're not like combative. And I understand your positions because I held them for a long time. Um, and I've clearly done research on these things. I'm familiar with art. Not the smartest or most well-read person ever, but like I'm familiar with most of these arguments. Okay, so here's a very minor. It's minor, but it's it's a contradiction. Ether. Uh, we read in Ether about the Tower of Babel yeah. and the Jaredites and uh, them coming across the ocean in their ships that they made, um, and the story is quite. Literally, they left. They were spared from the confounding of the languages of the Tower of Babel and so on and so forth. We know the Tower of Babel didn't happen. But the Book of Mormon, for it to be literal and an actual history, which it was claimed to be and has been claimed to be by the church, necessitates that the Tower of Babel did happen. So how do you, like, there's a contradiction something that you have to reconcile. How do you do that? Alright, so I have I'm giving that one thought. Um, pinning it to to those um, ramifications that you're talking about. And you feel solid that the Tower of Babel, Babel didn't happen. Yeah, like the Bible gives us a pretty clear like this is when it happened and linguists have determined without a doubt that there is no way that language was all 100% was like it's um, given what we know now it's almost laughable to say that the Tower of Babel is literal like even if it happened there's no 5,000 years ago there's there's no diverse languages there's no serious scholar that would say that So it's it's a, it's another one of those Old Testament things that like you can write off as like a symbolic story right. if you just read it in the Old Testament. But, but then from, the Book of Mormon is a literal claims that the people that came to this land were driven 
appear from the time of the Tower of Babel. So the Book of Mormon, for it to be a literal account, must, like it necessitates that the Tower of Babel really did happen. Um, so either you have to accept the Tower of Babel as happening, or you have to say the Book of Mormon is inspired scripture, inspired text, but not actually literal, um, which sort of throws a lot of modern prophets and apostles under the bus as they've claimed that people are, that Lamanites really do exist and that these people are Lamanites. You served your mission in Brazil already, but you heard all the rhetoric. Uh, so it's either got to be some inspired text and not, and, and scripture, and it's like a catalyst theory, but it's not literal. Um, or it's, you know, made up. Those are your options, in my opinion, unless you believe the Tower of Babel is literal. So, I'm happy to throw in a third option there. Okay. And this is me, I haven't, think about this for the first time. I'm okay with the idea of an Adam and Eve and a Garden Eden. Okay. To what extent those people, humanoids before them and, and, and around them were existed and, and are they spiritual or not? I don't know. Yeah, Cree-Adamites, like Bruce R. McConkie yeah. claimed. And, uh, Bruce R. McConkie shot down Cree-Adamites in Mormon doctrine, but we know that lots of things in Mormon doctrine have been shot down. Yeah. Like, continue. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, so this is a wondering, this isn't the same thing, I've seen it, but I'd be, I'd be okay saying that maybe, maybe that was a Tower of Babel experience in a limited scope. That was, you know, when they say the whole world, yeah. I mean, the, Romans, the whole world was Europe, right? Okay. So maybe there was a, maybe there was some type of a literal experience in a limited scope. Okay. Yeah. That's another, that, that's, that's a, an apologist explanation for... I'm not first to come up with that one. Uh, I'm not sure about the Tower of Babel. I'm not an expert on the Tower of Babel. Um, but in terms of DNA in the Book of Mormon, that is one explanation, apologist explanation for why we see zero evidence of Middle Eastern DNA among any native populations. My reading on that essay, the DNA essay, was after that, many, you know, they, had, they talk about the bottlenecks of genes and, and just well, how, how like, it's not like. It's, that stuff is going to pass on for free. endlessly. You you would you would um, if the Americas were populated by Nephites and Lamanites, there <clears throat> would almost certainly be uh, traces of DNA. There are some small possibilities of bottleneck type. Um, I'm not. I, I don't know. Even if all the even if all the mass extinctions that happened when when the white people showed up, yeah, yeah. I mean, they all have common ancestors according to the Book of Mormon, right? Oh, that's another piece. I said the Mulekites. Yeah, I mean, there were other people here when the Mormons. When the Mulekites were here, the descendants of the Jaredites, and, and well, the Jaredites were completely wiped out according to the Book of Mormon. Yeah, the Mulekites were here, but they were also from the Middle East. It, I think. It, if I'm not mistaken, it claims that nobody was here. I don't think so. There, there, there's a few Nibley article okay. where the Jaredites alone, or where the Jaredites the first, or the Nephites alone. It's one of those two. Okay. Because um, and, and, there's so much, like, we read 
you know, a lot of the time they say, um, like, Alan Arnold or somebody like that will identify themselves, and I, being a Nephite, went and talked to these other people. Or I, I called Mennonite, or I called uh, Amulet, him being a Nephite. Distinguishing from, from everybody else that was around, but wasn't a Nephite, evidently. Yeah, okay, so here, here's how I will grant you a possibility that <laughs> the, there were Middle Easterners who sailed over here and populated the Americas, and then they disappeared in the DNA record, and there has been no evidence of their culture either. I'll, I'll grant you that that is possible. But the, the analogy for me is the absence of Japanese DNA in Ireland is also not evidence that the Japanese didn't populate Ireland. Like, do you, you see kind of the ridiculousness of the argument? Like, you just... The absence of evidence is not like a good reason. Or the absent, the so there's an absence of evidence, so you can't rule it out. Is kind of the argument for the DNA thing. But my testimony doesn't hinge on that. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. You know, my, my, I, I see that Book of Mormon as a, a historical record that has an amazing truth piled in it. Yeah. The truth that I couldn't give up. Right. And still be a Christian. Yeah, and that goes back to sort of what I started with, which is that how do you, like, are feelings a good way to determine what is true and what is not true? Um, and I don't think it is because of the reasons I talked about. But clearly we disagree on that point. That's I, fine. I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I have to. I mean, I have to disagree on that because for me that's where faith comes in. Like, it would be amazing, dude. I would love some freaking hard truth, some hard evidence, right? I mean, that would take a, I mean, my, my world, my life, my job, a whole lot easier. It just, it's not going to happen. But that's just, that's, that's, I mean, that goes against the plan of salvation, but we're talking about that, you know, what's our point of. But I think we, we do have a lot of hard evidence. It just goes the other way. <laughs> There's no hard evidence on the positive side. And there's tons of hard evidence on the negative side. And you can't argue that there's not. Yeah, I mean, maybe I have to see that point. I mean, and you're probably right. That's, you can still believe, like, okay, I just, I don't. Uh, and, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to, like, insult you in any way. I'm just sort of trying to convey how I've arrived at these things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I am genuinely curious. I, I, about I your, just your faith and how you reconcile these things because I spent a lot of time trying to reconcile myself. You may have spent more time and may have done deeper research. I, I feel like I've been I, don't know, I kind of went through a similar process. Um, I'm just willing to, to, to leave the space for faith and spirit and feelings yeah. being being good determining factors. Going up against a scientist who wants some empirical evidence and, and you know, the book would do this. I get it. I totally get it. I remember when, when I was on my mission, uh, Elder Scott came, came to visit and his whole, well, he, he visited our mission for a little bit, spent a couple hours with us. His whole lesson was teaching us about recognizing the spirit and learning from the spirit. And 
he made a statement along the lines of, really paraphrasing, that I've learned to trust my spiritual eyes more than my physical senses. Like, if you tell me this paper is white, but the spirit told me it's black, I am going with the, with the knowledge that it's black. And I'm, I'm all in. I'm okay with that. So we've got some evidences that come from our temporal fallen world that say religion is hogwash. I get it. But my spiritual eyes tell me it's not. And I'm sticking with that. Like I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay going with my the spiritual senses that I can't be explained. Yeah. That can't be given hard evidence for. And I feel like on the spiritual within the looking at things within the spiritual eyes, within the spiritual mindset, that there's a lot more evidence for the truth of it than against it. I can't I can't share that with you. Right. I can't give that to you. Yeah, that's um, the whole uh, what does salt taste like? Very salty. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And yeah, I I want to um, I want to like empathize with that point. Like I uh, and and I don't want to like make I don't want to sound arrogant. What I'm trying to say is, I had real spiritual experiences. I felt the spirit. I felt the burning in my bosom. Like, I definitely bought into the spirit as a witness for truth. And um, it was really, really difficult to feel like and confront this idea that maybe it was just me the whole time. And maybe I just wanted it to be true. And you know the conclusion that I came to eventually. Um, But I want to also empathize and say like, I know what that feels like, and I know that um, it's highly motivating to have those feelings and those convictions. Um, and so, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I don't fault you for believing at all. Like, I've been there. I know what that's like, and I know it's like special and sacred to you. Because it was special and sacred to me. Uh, but I've come to a different conclusion over time. So, I guess that's all I was trying to communicate. Um, I, I, I appreciate and sincerely your sincerity and your genuineness and being willing to be open and honest with yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I, I love discussing this stuff. Like, it's fun for me. Uh, <laughs> and I have no problem, like, carrying competing ideas and reacting to them. Um, and I'm glad that you're able to take them, take me poking at things and striving. Uh, that's refreshing. <laughs> uh, so thanks for being cool with that. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Not gonna offend me. Most people, I don't feel like I, 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 like, I let the real me come out very, very often and I don't feel like very many people know me very well. 
Um, you know, I've had a chance to have a little more in-depth conversations than I've had with most of the guys in the, in the quorum. Um, I think I come across a little Peter Priestley sometimes. Uh, I don't get that. I hope not. I always thought I always thought of you as like a more like permissive Mormon. Not not in like a bad way, but in like a hey, kind of relaxed kind of way. Like no. it's not that big of a deal if someone swears every once in a while. Right, right. I got through stages where I felt like that, where I held myself to that kind of standard. You can't do it every once in a while, you gotta just let, let something rip. <laughs> Otherwise you'd go crazy. Yeah. So I, I never thought that, so Alright. Well, I didn't get that I didn't get that. Good. Um, I wear like a purple shirt every once in a while just to, <laughs> just to give some evidence. I, I still wear a white shirt every time I come to church. Yeah. I notice. <laughs> um, I saw the order of things. What can Packers talk? Elder Holland has, a, has one of my white shirts as really? well. Yeah. Oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> Sorry, but like, what a pedantic and like legalistic view of what's important and what God would care about. Uh, anyways. The, I, I see you. Did, did you watch any conference? Yeah. Um, so you know, you heard that we're going down to two hours. And... My mom is stoked. Is she? Yeah. I think most of us are. Yeah. But it was given with a whole lot of teaching on you got to step up. Like, we're t- I, I've seen this... I've been expressing this for the last six months. And now it's just... I feel like I'm just getting from right. I, I finished my mission right before they did the preach my gospel, mm-hmm. and I came once I was home for a year or so when they launched launched that. I was like, what the heck? This is never gonna work. You can't trust mission. Like in my head, like, what are those missionaries gonna do without like preset discussions? But now those missionaries are elders, home presidents, and bishops. And then they took away home teaching lessons, and then they took away uh, visit, you know, visiting teaching lessons first, um, and then they took away um, home teaching. <laughs> go go by the spirit, go by the spirit. And now they're taking away church, mm-hmm. giving us more of that. You gotta do this on your own. You, you, you gotta do Home centered, church supported. How go. many times did they say that in that session? Like 50? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Because yeah. um, it's all, it's like, we've, we've had those crutches for, for generations, you know, and those crutches yeah, probably weren't doing us a whole lot of good. So now get rid of the crutches. And it would, yeah, what are you gonna do after church? So you've got an extra hour. Are you gonna go to the Formula One race or are you gonna go home and do some indexing? You know, people are gonna be making those choices. Well, uh, sorry, keep going. Yeah, hey, I'm just, I'm just seeing that, that kind of that those lav and stuff. I don't know if the white shirt things ever gonna go away, but those kind of just more small hand holding. Here's how you do it. Here's how you're supposed to act. Kind of things are, are slipping. They're going. Yeah. You, you between you and your wife, between you and your companion, use the spirit, and make your own decisions. It reminds me. Um, there's sort of a, a interesting historical thing that happened in the church in 1984, I think. There was a 70 named Ronald Pullman who gave a talk at General Conference. And it was all about how, like, the church is just a vehicle. And the real... um, It it only serves the purpose of uh, making you a better person and, like, helping you become Christ-like. But it's just a vehicle. It's not like this necessary thing that you must you must conform to kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he gave this talk in general conference, and I think that the church uh, is sort of trying to be like that now, 
But at the time, do you know what happened? What? They made him re-record his talk in the tabernacle with a cough track in the background, uh, putting, and it completely flipped the message. And they put that in the recordings in the in the the video and the audio yeah. recording. You can still you can find the original still online, um, but like the church at the time was very like uh, correlation and top down. And the church, the church, the church, the church, the institution, like loyalty to the institution kind of thing. And they made him basically turn the whole meaning of the talk around. It's really fascinating oh, to before. read both talks, the original and the one after. The, the approved version? The approved version. <laughs> um, go check it out. I think it, personally, so my view obviously is that the church is like man-made and the the guys that run it are just a bunch of guys. They're smart. They're well-intentioned. Um, but I don't believe they're influenced by any divine spirit or anything. Um, and I see the modifications that the church is making as turning to mainstream the church. Like it's becoming more mainstream Christianity. Um, and I think that's what I think that's what they're trying to do. Like we're the church is sort of getting away from the things that made Mormons unique and weird uh, in the 1800s, in the 1900s, and it's becoming more of a mainstream Christian church. That's hmm. what I think is happening. I mean, they literally shortened church uh, now, um, changing from home teaching to ministering. Ministering is like more of a Christian word. Like, well, I mean, the person doesn't acknowledge that. The idea yeah. came from the yeah. idea of having personal ministries. Yeah. The Christians talk about yeah. that. You don't hear anything about uh, becoming godlike anymore. <laughs> like, that was like a King Follett style stuff was like what made Mormonism unique. And like, now it's almost disavowed. Uh, um, I, it's just, I think it's becoming more, it's just trying to be more and more mainstream and fit in more and more, in my opinion. Now, there are a few things where, you know, I would like them to fit in more with the world. Like, I think the treatment and rhetoric around LGBT people is just horrific and mean-spirited. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, but anyways, that's my, that's my take on it. I, I wondered on that one. I mean, I, I felt like I had a good relationship. Um, I, I see like the, the church, like the state of Utah, is coming out with like the most progressive, protect religion as well as homosexual rights kind of compromise bills that exist. The church is donating a ton of money to LGBTQ resources, depression, and then and then I see you know, the, the, the Twitter reaction to the President Oaks talk on Sunday was that's the worst thing that ever. I can't believe that guy's still talking like that. And all he's doing is talking about the family proclamation. Like, well, that I mean, he basically called anyone who's gay uh, under the influence of Satan. Like, he literally said that. So, I mean... I mean you can't he, literally say that. He, I mean, he, he, say it like, I mean let's, let's, let's read it. Let's see. Is the text up yet? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, text. Here it is. Let's see. Let's treat them with a hand. 
Like they single him out like as if he's cruel and unique or something. Oh, I don't think it's unique. I think the church has been very consistent on this topic uh, for a long time. Right. Um, I think they're wrong, and I think it's mean. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, he does the thing where he um, talks about uh, spiritual truth versus scientific truth at the beginning, which is apropos to our discussion here. <laughs> Gender eternal. I mean, that's part. Of yeah, belief. I mean, gender is eternal. Okay, so anyone who uh, thinks gender is a construct and they don't feel like they're uh, male when they're in a male body, um, they could take offense to that if they if they hear that because then they sit, they they look at themselves and it invalidates them. Right? They're like, oh, I'm. I'm broken, right? Like, that's the view from their perspective. So I can see how someone who's transgender would take offense to that. That's pretty soft, though. Same gender as a girl. Yeah, I, I don't see that, like, the heart... It, I, I get your point. Somebody who disagrees with that and thinks that's an opinion, that wouldn't sit well. But he's not saying, we hate you. Like, you're worthless. Or, or that you're less than. We support traditional marriage. Yeah. I mean, here's where he says, you know, opposition is part of the plan and Satan's most strenuous opposition is directed at whatever is most important to God's plan. He seeks to destroy God's work. His prime methods are to discover the Savior, his divine authority, discourage repentance, counterfeit revelation, contradict individual accountability. He also seeks to confuse gender, to distort marriage to discourage childbearing. So right there, he's saying, if you're transgender, you're confused. If if you're transgender, you're not even you're not confused. You you are confused, but you're not just confused. It's because you're under the influence of Satan. Satan's most strenuous opposition is directed by blah 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 blah. Then he says, distort marriage. So if you support gay marriage or if you're gay, then you're under the influence of Satan. And if you think that homosexuality is not a choice, which even the church says that now, although they did 20 years ago, uh, what are you supposed to do? There's no place for you in the church. I think that would be the hardest element, the hardest condition possible. Yeah. Um, I, to be I, authentically gay and, and yeah. trying to figure out where you fit in this plan. I I think it's um, it's sad in my opinion it's really sad those are mortal conditions and when mortality is such a small slice of the eternal existence I think there's a whole lot of room post mortal experience to get the answers and figure out the why's and why why because it could do there are there are very effeminate men, they're very masculine women. They're I see I have seen yeah. male cats, right? Men male cats. You know? Clearly it's working as working is planned. Yeah. Oh. Imagine for a second that um 
Like, I'm straight. I think you're straight, pretty sure. And it's hard for me to comprehend being gay. Like, I just, it's hard for me to comprehend that. Like, because I am the way that I am. And I'm straight. Um, imagine for a second that, like, heterosexuality was, like, on the, on the flip side. And heteros, and you were told that your heterosexuality and you're attractive, you're attractive, you're attracted to women, um, and that's because you're under the influence of Satan. Like, that would weigh on my mind constantly. I could not change Watch. myself. But like, he doesn't, he's not saying that that attraction is coming from Satan. I mean, there are physiological things in play there. And I think, well, you know, your point, the church is not a Sure. The, church, the church no longer says that the attraction is from Satan. They used to, but they've stopped. And that's, they they were changed. behind the electric shocks treatments. Yeah. They've changed their position, but they're still saying that, like, if you act on marriage those things, is from right. Satan. Supporting that kind of marriage. And they're still saying that being transgender is influenced by Satan. I, I have a hard time understanding being transgender than I do. So do I. Homosexuality. I, I do too. It's. I think it's just less, um, it's been less in the public conversation, it's not been in the public conversation for as long as homosexuality, but yeah, I mean, anyways, the, for me, you know, the social stuff is, while disconcerting in my opinion, and um, not right in my opinion, uh, it's not what, like, sort of led me to not believe I I don't, I, I don't know how else the church can do it. Because we don't expect... Well, I don't, I don't expect... Once you lose the physical bodies and those physiological aspects, when we get back to just being pure spirit plus immortal, immortal, immortal perfected bodies, there's not going to be homosexual gods, right? We, we believe in eternal progression towards godhood. Right. And, and, and eternal progress being bearing children, bearing spiritual and children. And Elder Oak says as much. He says earlier in the talk. So, so same gender relationships don't exist in this, in this plan of the right. people that we It's we, completely anathema to all of LDS right. doctrine. So how, I don't know how to do it any differently. We're, we're going to be nice. We're going to be good neighbors. But we don't want you guys. We, we don't want you to be depressed. We don't I want think, you to feel I think that's yourself. the whole point is that the doctrine itself does not allow for homosexuality whatsoever. Right. And right. um, the way we put it now is acting on homosexuality. Yeah. So Elder Oaks puts it this way. Anyone who understands these eternal truths can understand why we members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints think as we do and do as we do. That's exactly what you just said. Like, if you understand the plan of salvation as taught currently, then your point is totally valid. The Church is backed into a corner on this issue, and when I say backed into a corner, I mean, like, they cannot, they can't change because the doctrine will not let them change. Right. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, the church has changed its doctrine before. Uh, yeah. I, but the priesthood, priesthood, and that's the base where I can think of in the uh, marriage. So the lots, of, lots of people point to those as like, oh, here's two points where we did change on these major social issues. Yeah. And they extrapolate it and they say, that means we're going to change on this one. But those are not even close, nearly as closely tied to eternal plan of salvation type principles. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree. I agree on that point. Like, sure, I think. I mean, the whole plan of salvation is to become like God and right. have an eternal progression and an, an eternal posterity. Right. right? That's which takes which is going to happen. Which should make that happen? Yeah. Um, and I don't so, know. How, I don't know, like, what gestation yeah. of spirit children like is there right. a long period? Is there birth? Uh, Although, like, I think if you took an eighteen hundreds member of the church, um, and talked to them about race, like, they would consider they would have just as hard of a time considering the fact that race is not important. Like, yeah, I mean, there's all teachings about you know, blacks are less valiant than the pre-existence. Right, and that they're going to be servants in the social kingdom if they're valiant. And Jane Manning James was sealed with Joseph Smith as his eternal slave or his eternal servant. And then, oh, really? in 1978, they decided that after the blacks received the priesthood, they changed the ordinance, and now she's like legit or whatever. But like, I don't like we. Right now, we can't see the church possibly moving on this issue. I'm not so sure. I think they, there's precedent. I think they could do it. I don't know if they will, but I think they could. And it wouldn't surprise me if in our lifetimes, the church accepts at least um, gay marriage, uh, not in the temple, but like they'll accept people that are homosexuals, married, legally as like legitimate but I, I doubt that they'll get to the ceiling I yeah. don't see that happening I, yeah, I mean that would just, yeah that would just be such a such an alteration of doctrine that's currently taught right that'd be, that'd be, that would feel like a very different church you know totally. like, different like, how do you think it felt like, in 1978 when a lot of people failed at that point because they couldn't yeah. accept it I don't, I don't think it's much different. And, I mean, look at how late it happened. Like, right. the civil rights movement was like late 50s, early mm-hmm. 60s, and eventually the church came around, 20 years later. Gay marriage right now is, uh, you know, what the civil rights movement was in 1960. In 20 years, are we going to see and it's generally like when I listen to when I drive around, it's like all gay all the time. It's it, it baffled me. Like for a small percentage of the population as homosexuals are in America, every hour there's a, a human interest story. Yeah, with a gay angle. Yeah, it's, like, it's crazy. It's like all the time. I I well I think personally that um, it's one of the sort of moral issues of our day. Like how do we treat gay people and what rights do we extend them, and what... So, sure, it's a small portion of the population, but that's kind of the whole point of, like, laws is to protect the minorities, sure. right? I don't know. I think we've made some very appropriate, very appropriate long strides in that, in that regard. Sure. I mean, when we were kids, it was, you played... I remember talking, like, talks in junior high and high school. Yeah. Where I was like... like it, it, it was it, super it, common to call people... Totally. When I was in high school, totally. I did it. I remember I was in I was in like tenth grade when East High in Salt Lake yeah. got a gay club, uh-huh. and that was like yeah, whoa, like, yeah. Well, they're going down. That's 
Second time, the second coming is probably close. This is right. It was in the beginning. The second coming is always right around the corner, man. In case you haven't noticed. <laughs> read the read, uh, uh, stuff from the church published right before 1890. Oh, they were calling on? Uh, they thought it was 1890. Really? Yeah. That's why the church was in so much debt. Because they thought the second coming was going to happen. So spend, spend, spend. And then it didn't. That's why the manifesto on polygamy was issued because they thought it wouldn't matter because Jesus was coming. Like, uh, I don't you know. Sure you probably don't buy it, but it plays a factor. Wow. Yeah, I, I haven't heard about that one. Yeah. Like, man, like, it was the end. Yeah. Um, they thought it was the end. Many of them. Well, I'm, I'm not I'm saying sure. like it was preached like widely, but it was it was a, it was a thing. Um. Another one I wonder about as well is where, because there was a lot of confusion in the beginning whether you could ordain blacks as a priest or not. Yeah. Um, and then there was this era, like mid 1800s, there was a boxer, Joe Jackson, Joe Johnson. The PBS did a documentary, same guy that, that, well, that same guy that did a lot of those famous PBS documentaries. Ken Burns. Ken Burns. He did one on him. It's called Unforgivable Blackness. Oh. And it, it just it, he was incredibly good, and they couldn't beat him. And they were, the, the whites were doing anything they could to find anybody that to, to take the head of white tail back because it was such an embarrassment for the white race. And I've heard people talk about like maybe that had some kind of influence on um, on where the, the rule became more firm about not ordaining blacks to the priesthood. Where I don't know. I some mean, to some of the political. I mean, I know there. that in Nauvoo, like Joseph's time, like yeah, it wasn't uncommon. Well, like Abel was an ordained elder out there. Yeah, there were like two black elders, I think. Uh, Elijah Abel's the famous one. Um, Joseph, Brigham was certainly more racist than Joseph. Like, way more. But Joseph was no, like, activist for African Americans. Like, he was, if you read his statements, like, they're still pretty racist. Not as racist as, as Brigham, but you know, he was a little more progressive than some, but like he's not in any way, shape, or form like an abolitionist. No, he was not in any way, shape, or form saying that black people were equal to white people. No, no, not even close. But like he was he was a little more egalitarian. Um and but Brigham was real racist. Like he slavery was okay in Utah <coughs> when they when they got here or here. When they when they went to the Salt Lake Valley. Um, there were slaves, black slaves, um, for a while. So, I, and Brigham openly taught. I mean, you've probably read some of his racist quotes. Uh, they're pretty bad. Yeah. And then, and, and that, that's where it feels like that that mistake kind of started locking in. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I yeah. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't. I personally, like, I just can't reconcile, like, so one, one rationale for polygamy was, oh, God needed to, like, test his people, right? Uh, I've heard that before as a rationale for polygamy. And God, Joseph didn't want to do it. Like, he was, he, this is the, the argument. Joseph was totally against polygamy. And he was so against it that the Lord had to send an angel with a flaming sword to command him to do it or else he would be destroyed. Um, 
And this was a test of everyone's faith, including Joseph. Uh, and it was a test of the people's faith because it was, you know, against their all their morals, all their uh, their um, Victorian ideals. Like they, this was something that would be completely. It was a complete sacrifice of every. It was a yielding of everything to God in terms of how they thought about uh, what was right and good. Why couldn't the test have been treat black people well? Why did it have to be like something that turns out to be pretty crappy in retrospect? Like treating black people well was just as, like, ridiculous a thing to do in the early 1800s as was marrying multiple women and underage girls. I mean... That would have been, 100 years later, would have been seen as heroic and progressive. Rather exactly. Than, rather than backwards and perverted, you know? Uh, you know, I always... I, I, I thought about that a lot, like, five years ago. Man, I wish I would have done that instead of... But, We'd be heroes now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just it just seems so absurd to me that like God would send a, an angel with a flaming sword to command the practice of polygamy, but would be utterly silent on issues of race until nineteen seventy eight. Come on, give me a break. I I, I can't reconcile that. That's hard for me. Have you um, heard about the new book, Church History Book that the Church put out? The Saints, the Saints, Saints book, yeah. Yeah, you looked at that at all? I haven't, I haven't read it, but um, yeah, I know about it. Um, clearly, they're, I mean, they bring all the subjects up. Mm-hmm. They don't, um, uh, they haven't really gotten the race one yet because it's on the timeline of the recovery. Right, it's an early, early stuff right now. Hmm. The multiple counts of the first vision is in there. Yeah, they talk about that. They talk about the polygamy, uh, but they don't give all the. You know, they, they treat it softly. They don't give you all. They don't talk about the the fourteen year old girls or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, as expected, you you. But I but I did like the source. Yeah. I did like it. Um, Have you read the whole thing already? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yeah. And there's some good. There's some good stuff. A lot of the stuff was most of it. I mean, like kind of the advanced. They're making the best one. The additional details. But there's some parts that I hadn't didn't know anything about. And part of what was interesting was that conversation of polygamy within Nauvoo, how hard it was for some of the people to accept. Yeah. Um, like Hiram. Hiram was, at that point, Joseph Smith's first counselor. Well, it, totally, counselor. it totally schismed the church. Like, right. William Law. Yeah, I mean, that's why the printing the, press was destroyed, is because exactly. he printed stuff about polygamy. But having that, like, having had hired against it. Yeah. He was a member of the first presidency. Yeah. Um, but the twelve, like um Hubert Kimball and Brigham no no leader, right? They all had to kinda of have a little trial their little faith crisis essentially to get through it. But the but the twelve was more accepting of it than the first presidency was. Oh really? And so there's some, some interesting exchanges between Brigham and Hiram. Hmm. Um yeah, to really get for Brigham helping Hiram get through it. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was the time. What, uh, give me one other thing that was like 
you didn't know and you were like, oh, that's weird or that's interesting or I have never heard that before? Um, no, no, no real big, like, no to- big topics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew, I remember a lot about the, the, um, the, the other papers in the nearby area um, that led to Joseph, like, the, the kind of kindling of the hatred against the Mormons there in Illinois, mm-hmm. the paper out of Warsaw, Illinois, mm-hmm. which is like 10 miles south. The editor of that was a guy named Thomas Sharp. Mm-hmm. And what I, he, and I knew he was part of like the, there was like six or eight guys that were put on trial for the murder of Joseph and Hiram. He was one of them. Um, but they, all, they all got acquitted, but it, it sounds like he was like instrumental in like charging up the stairs and firing shots, which I didn't know. But when he first, when the Saints first started sitting on Nabu, and he, he came to Warsaw pretty close at the same time, and they were, they were actually pretty close buddies at the beginning. Like he was, he attended a few parades with Joseph, and, and Joseph was kind of showing a good time and mm-hmm. hanging out with him. And then, and then somewhere in there, there was a, uh, some kind of conflict that turned him sharply against. Like Joseph tried to marry his wife or something? I'm just <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize there was ever a friendly time between Tom Sharp and, and, the, and the Mormons. Okay. Um, hmm. Kind of like John C. Bennett. Like, yes. He was like the quintessential anti-Mormon, right? But I, he was like buddies with Joseph for a long time. He was, he was, he was, I think he was the mayor of Nauvoo when he first yeah. showed up. Like, yeah. you got all these great ideas, come on in. Totally. They, they talk a lot about him in that book. Spiritual wifery. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was going around and selling people on that idea, selling ladies on that idea. Yeah. Um, the rabbit hole never ends. <laughs> Start going down it, it never ends. And, and here's the thing. I, I put myself in it for a while. And at this point, I'm just not that interested in it. Because mm-hmm. I've made my choice to say I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the spiritual side and the spiritual aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to seek the things that confirm my bias. And I'm okay with that. I'm going to do that because yeah. I, I get so much good out of out of, out of the church, and I, what I see with my spiritual eyes is more important to me than some other new aspect of the realm. I don't know anything about before. Yeah. So I understand that. Coming over tonight, I'm, 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 dude, literally, I'm not kidding. I've been thinking of this conversation for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it as a function of my priesthood keys that I hold as the eligible president. Then everybody's their own agent. You're responsible for yourself, but I have stewardship for you. And I felt um, kind of as a mandate that my job as the eligible president to come over here and to have this conversation. Um, I wondered what what's the invite? What's the what's the purpose? Like what's the um, what's the end game here? My only invite to you, I'm not going to go commitment pattern on you and ask you for a yes or no, but it's just to not. The invitation is to just to consider engaging. To not fully close it off. I think if you wanted to, you could make some work that would take you back to seeing things more with, with, the, with the spiritual eyes again. I think your spiritual eyes are closed. That's not stupid thing to do. I don't mean, I don't mean that. Uh, it's an invitation to try and see this, this spiritual side of the evidence again. Um, which would take reading the Reading the Book of Mormon. 
as a historical work of scripture, opening the possibility to that there's truth behind it, and just seeing where it takes you, seeing what if, if there comes a time, maybe perhaps decades down the road, where you feel the ability to believe again, but just to not close it off entirely. We would love it if you re-engage with us in this forum at this time. That, that door is always open. I mean, the church, the ward, the quorum can always use a guy like you with your talents and skills and heart and work ethic. Um, but, and there are plenty of things you can do without a testimony. There's, there's, always, there's always chapels to be cleaned and people that need rides and moves that need to be done, whatever. Um, but any level that you can engage in now, as well as more deeply spiritually going forward, you know, that, just invite you to consider it. If there's more engagement that you could, that would work with where you're currently at, and perhaps even be able to be able to at least further engagement. That's the that's the best invitation I've got for you. Okay. Um, well, I appreciate, and I know your intentions are really good, so I appreciate that. You come from a place of sincerity and yeah. truly caring about you, if not love. <laughs> I don't I don't doubt that at all. So I appreciate that. Thanks. My my belief is that it would do good for you, and the, 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 the belief in the gospel leads to would lead to good things for you and your family. Um, and so I don't feel hesitant in saying, if you re-engage, bless you, will come one form or another. And again, not ease, um, but that it can be good for your family. Yeah. Um, well, I I appreciate, and I know that it comes from a good place, and that you're well-intentioned, so I appreciate that. I, I don't believe and I don't um, think that, uh, I mean, I, I guess at the risk of sounding totally closed off, like you said, um, I just, I reject the thought that uh, that re-engaging would be helpful. I just don't think it would, but uh, like I said, you know, I'm open to belief. Uh, I would just, I would need some sort of reason to believe and I don't see any at this point, so. But I certainly, certainly have not closed the door on anything. I've never closed the door. I'm Bayesian. Have you ever heard of that term? What, what is, was it? Bayesian. B-A-Y-E-S-I-A-N. He's a famous statistician. Okay. Basically says, you know, um, there's a probability for something. Like, for instance, it might rain there's some probability that it will rain tomorrow. Uh, uh, and uh, a priori, so before tomorrow, before I see what actually happens, um, I can have some belief of what that probability is, right? Like, maybe for instance, it rains 100 days out of the year. You know? So my probability a priori that it will rain tomorrow 
is a one in three hundred or a one hundred three hundred sixty five day chance. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like a little less than a third. Right. About a third. It's called it a third. Uh, so that's like my null hypothesis. There's a one third probability that it's going to rain. Now, I look out the window and I see some really dark clouds. What does that do to my probability? I presume it increases it. It increases it. I've got some evidence that I didn't have before, and now the probability that it's going to rain tomorrow is higher. Um, that's what the that's like the Bayesian view is that you have a you have a hypothesis about what is true or what is or or whatever or what is going to happen. And you update that hypothesis as you get new information. That's how everybody acts. Mm-hmm. Right? That's we do this naturally. Right. And all, what I'm saying is, I'm open to evidence updating my hypothesis. I'm open to believing. Um, I think it would take a lot. Like the, the tribes marching down, ten tribes marching down from the north. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> coming out of the oh, center of the earth. something ridiculous. Theories. Um, yeah, I mean, it would take like if if aliens came to Earth and they had were human, like they were created also in God's image, right? But on a different planet, that'd be pretty good evidence for God, right? Because consistency I have, I have no reason to believe that life evolved on other planets the way it evolved here. So, if people, human beings, came to Earth from a different planet, that'd be like pretty solid evidence. Right. Yeah, there might be something to this God, man is created in God's image thing because there's other people. And if they came to Earth and they were like, hey, we've got this Christianity thing and it's a lot like Mormonism and we've come here to merge the Mormon church with our church. <laughs> that would be pretty good evidence. I could get on board with that. I think mean, that would be an easy sell. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just, yeah, I, I've made my position. I think there's just so much contrary evidence that I, I don't think that, in my opinion, there's no place for faith when there's so much contrary evidence. So, but I'm open. Okay. And, and like I said, I, I, I fully and sincerely appreciate that you care, and I know it comes from a good place. I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad that you think that and sense that. And I'm not over here just because I feel like I have to be here or should be here or whatever. I care. I think about you guys. I like you guys. I do care about you. Whether it's through whether it's a church connection or not. Yeah. Um, Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, outside of something crazy like that, I mean, there's not going to be another. There's, I, there's no article I can send you. There's no scripture that's going to send you. No conference talk that's going to be helpful to this conversation. Um, yeah, I, it would be hard to find something that I haven't considered already. Right. <laughs> so I mean, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but like, I've, I just, just, I just. Just be open to the idea that some of the stuff that's going on in your life, the happenings, and, 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 and where you live, and where you work, and who you're married to, and what you do for work, and who you run into during the day, aren't coincidences. So there's actually some working to the spirit in your life. Just 
I invite you to leave that as a, as a possibility. That it's not just physics. <laughs> There's a little more to it than just physics. And chance theory. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. Anyway, I appreciate you guys come over and yeah. be cool about it and honest and genuine. Yeah, of course. Um, I have no problem discussing these things. Uh, no one really seems to want to, but I'm happy to, to talk about it with anybody they want to. I don't know how we do. I like, we don't we don't have very much chat time at church. So like it, it, by and large, most people are not that social. They're just trying to do their own families or whatever. So these, I mean, I literally I've only had this conversation with you for six months, but yeah. um, I'm not really a little nervous. You, uh, I'm not sure how to approach it and whatnot, but yeah. Or if I could have done more of the idea, I would love to do more of the idea. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think maybe yeah. I don't know what my point is there other than just. Maybe there's more willingness than might be obvious, because... Well, it's hard, right? Because people don't know where you stand, and, like, it's a sensitive subject. Lots of people are really angry when they leave the church, and people don't know if I am angry, or if I've even left, or, like, where I stand. There's probably rumors flying around. Um, so, I, I get it. And... Lots of people just don't even want to confront the idea. You know, they don't even want to think about the possibility that the church might not be true, and they don't want to talk to someone. Like, I, I get that. Like, it's it's a hard it's a hard subject to, to approach. But I, I, I think there's a lot of simpleness in, in any religion. There's, there's um, Blame every good thing, every bad on Jesus, every bad thing on the devil, and yeah. um, Jesus out there in the clouds. Yeah, I think there's plenty of that. Um, there's out there deeper thinkers in that as well, but yeah, we don't want to engage on that right. topic. So. Um, and I well, it's, it's just such a personal thing, right? Totally. And I, and I'm, just the nature of our war, I think. If, Went in there into our old form today. You, you might recognize five faces. It's so the only people that I've ever had any conversations with you about about you with um, because we're in the presidency together. So we're talking about yeah. ministry assignments and whatnot. Do we give an assignment or not? Or do we? And I was like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I might be more destructive to people than constructive. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know about any rumors. Maybe, maybe there's some stuff on the women's side, but I don't know. I don't know, about, but, I don't know either. But, you know, um, I know people like you guys. People love. Yeah. I know, you know, all the all primary ladies mm -hmm. seem to be fond of her. Well, cool. I don't want to keep you forever. Yeah. Earlier than that, she had like okay. a migraine or something. So okay. So I was free to kind of take up okay. all this time, but I appreciate you. I'll, I'll give you your night back. Thanks for coming over. Yeah. Hey, that was great. All right, listeners, don't forget to go to our website and vote for this essay, provide some feedback. And if you've got something you want to say and you can squeeze it in before the end of November, record your own listener essay, send it to us, we'll post it. Come support us on Patreon. And as always, thanks for listening to Infants on Thrones. Hi. This is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dutchley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, 
give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Oh, yeah. And one final thing. Uh, just because I've been getting more of these essays than I planned on, it's going to stretch into early December. Uh, so maybe December 1st, December 2nd will be our last listener essay. You can vote for any or all of these. So I, I don't want anybody to be... I don't want anybody to be confused and think that you only have to vote for your favorite one. Now, when you go and vote, you can vote, you can rank it as anywhere from one to five, how much you like it, and vote for as many of these as you want to. It's the quantity of people that vote and the scores that they give that are going to determine the final winner. So don't feel like you have only one vote to say you can vote for every single one of these essays and provide feedback to the authors for every single one of these essays. I know they would love to hear what you think because they did this to share it with you. So please go to the websites for the essays that you like and that you want to vote for and do that. And we're going to be doing this (laughs) for the next little while uh, because I'm still getting essays coming in. But I'll stop it. We won't go further than the first week of December. And this, like everything else, is a canned message. So if you've heard this before and you don't want to hear it again, maybe I should have told that before. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for... Blah.